As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, as we continue our sermon series together through this amazing New Testament history book, the book of Acts. You also may want to uh, turn your Bibles to Psalm 2. The text we're going to look at today is going to quote Psalm 2, and we'll also refer to that passage as well. All right, how many of you read the classic children's book? And for some of you, all you read are classic children's books. I know, I've been there. How about The Little Engine That Could? Uh, Do you remember The Little Engine That Could? Uh, Waddy Piper. Waddy Piper, with a name like that, had to do something great. Uh, Wrote a book that we all know of. Uh, It's a story, if you don't know it, of a little locomotive. A locomotive that wasn't as big and strong as other locomotives. Got ripped and ridiculed because of it. Uh, And yet finds itself... uh, uh, chatting with a long train uh, that needed an engine. Needed an engine specifically to go up and over this mountain that was before them. So uh, the little engine that could uh, took on this amazing challenge and hooked itself up to the uh, train and started chugging up the mountain. And as it went along, it repeated throughout the story uh, the motto of this little engine that could saying, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Kind of, you can almost hear the cadence uh, with the chugging loke of motive. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. How about for you? What do you do? What do you look to? Or who do you look to uh, for strength and confidence uh, to overcome the mountains in your life? Those things that are before you. Where do you turn? Do you look to your physical strength, your physical strength to say, I'm strong enough to do this. I can do this. Or do you look to your mental capacity saying, I'm smart enough to do this. Do you look to your moral integrity for those things that are in front of you saying, I should do this. Do you look to your education and say, I've been trained to do this. Do you look to your heritage and say, Jake's can do this. Or do you just say, I think I can. I think I can. What would you look to if God commissioned you, and if you're a follower of Christ, by the way, he has. What would you look to if God commissioned you to tell the whole world the reality of who Jesus is? To be a witness for him. To be a witness that although Jesus was crucified and dead and buried, he was resurrected and he lives. And he rules and he reigns. And what would you look to or who would you look to for confidence and strength if God says through you and to what he said to the apostles and to the church, I want you to tell the whole world this story. And by the way, let's compound that with the reality that those who were first given this amazing commission to tell the news, the good news that Jesus was alive, they were threatened They were threatened by the leaders, the religious leaders of the day. Matter of fact, they were so threatened. They said, if you continue to talk about this Jesus fellow, if you continue to be a part of this Jesus train or this Jesus movement, we want to kill you. We're going to kill you. Stop it. Stop talking about Jesus. Stop preaching about Jesus. Stop teaching in the name of Jesus. For the love of Mike, stop healing men who have been crippled for their whole lives in the name and the power and the authority of Jesus. And if you continue, we're going to kill you. So where do they look to? 
I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, or look elsewhere. Don't know about you, but probably for many of us, we would say, I know I can't, I know I can't, I know I can't. But God, come and give us grace and strength through the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can proclaim the good news that Jesus is alive. Scripture says that we can do all things, even boldly witness for him, even in your neighborhood, even to your family, even in your workplace. We can do all things through Christ. As we study through Acts together, we've seen that that Jesus has given his apostles the promise of the Father. He has given them not only a charge to be his witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, but he also gave them a promise. He says that he would give them the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come and give them power to do that which God has asked them to do. Although the religious leaders have said, the ones who actually crucified Jesus said, shut down this Jesus movement. They said, we can't help but be a part of this Jesus movement. Although there were threats, they continued. They continued on in the name of Jesus. And we're going to pick up the story today at the end of a, a trial. Here's what's taking place. If you haven't been here, here's what's happened. The book of Acts is basically the story of what Jesus continues to do as a resurrected Savior. And the book of Acts tells us that he met for 40 some odd days with his apostles, strengthening them and telling them about the kingdom of God. The book of Acts is the story of how God gave us the promised Holy Spirit to empower us to do that which he's called us to do, to tell the whole world good news. And as this power is going out, as the gospel is being preached, the kingdom of God is being advanced. Miracles are taking place and things that are happening that no one can explain. And you would think that the religious leaders would rejoice, but they haven't. The story we just looked at was a story of Peter and John walking into a temple and taking a man who for his whole life, over 40 years, was crippled. And in the name of Jesus, was amazingly healed. And because of the mercy of God, because of the healing of God, a trial ensued. Not celebrating what God has done, but threatening those who did it in the name of Jesus. And so here you found two common fishermen, a man named Peter and a man named John, standing before 71 of the most powerful religious people in the world of that day, in the temple. They said, what are you doing? And why are you doing this? They said, in the name of Jesus, we do this. And that crippled man stood there beside them. And the religious leaders, they, were, they couldn't even talk. They were speechless because they couldn't refute what God had done. But they were afraid of who Jesus really is. These are the ones that crucified him. And they said, stop talking in his name. And we see that they released him because they were afraid of the people. And now we're going to pick up the story when Peter and John go back to the church and they say, this is what Jesus has done. And we'll see that we should have strength to boldly proclaim the good news. That even today, for us today, we should have strength in telling the story of Jesus. Why? Because he is the ruler over all creation. Why? Because his plan will not fail. And that we should be praying, God, as you heal the nations, give us boldness to speak. Let me tell you, whatever mountain you face today, whatever is before you, God wants to speak to you today through his word. So let's look to Acts chapter 4. Picking up the story in verse 23 and 23 through 31. Hear God's holy and active living word. Verse 23. When they were released, Peter and John, 
before the Sanhedrin, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. They, they quote Psalm 2 there. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, listen to this, to do what your hand, God's hand, and your plan, God's plan, had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, I pray. In your holy servant, Jesus' name. That the Holy Spirit would come and fill this room. And so that we can have our lives be reminded of the grace and the mercy of your son, Jesus, and what he has done for us. God, would you please come with power and speak through this broken, trembling servant of yours. To speak boldly of the truth that your son, Jesus, he is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. That your son, Jesus, his plan cannot fail. God, would you come with such power and such boldness through the preacher that you give us ears to hear Jesus' voice, minds to understand your word, hearts to embrace your truth, would you be with us so clearly that we can leave here walking in a manner that's, that's bold, that proclaims the truth, that Jesus, he loves us, and Jesus is for us. And we have the privilege of telling the story of how he rescued us. Father, I pray for everyone here that there would not be one soul would be able to leave here not knowing the truth of who Jesus really is and whatever mountain we face, knowing that in him we can do all things. God, the things that I say that are merely my opinion are wrong. May those things be forgotten and fall away quickly. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, use those things to make us more like your son, our savior. And it's in his powerful name we pray. Amen. If you look closely at this passage of Scripture, which really, it's a, it's a prayer. Uh, we see that uh, as Peter and John gather with his people, God's people, they rejoice and they break into spontaneous prayer. Have you ever been there? 
Have you ever seen God do something so amazing that you can't stop and just pray? You just have to stop and pray. This is exactly what has happened. And as we look closely at this prayer, we're going to see the invisible hand of God. Don't you long to see it in your life? In this passage, we see this invisible hand of God do three things. We see it's God's hand that has created all things. We see it's God's hand that's in the plan of salvation. Even when it looked like the world was turning upside down, even when it looked like God's son had lost on the cross, we're going to see the hand of God behind everything that happened. And then we'll see God's hand. It's God's hand who's extended to bring healing and signs and wonders. Let me tell you, here's, here's the point of what God's word is for us today. And here's the point that this preacher wants you to hear. I pray that God opens up our eyes to see the truth and the beauty of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he is doing to give us incredible boldness to proclaim his word, to give us boldness to live our lives in a way that says Jesus really is alive and he is real. And Jesus has conquered our greatest enemy, sin and death. And we can boldly proclaim the reality in our lives, our neighborhoods, our, our workplace, that he is in control of all things. And give us boldness and confidence. Oh, Jesus, come with power. First thing we see is this, is that when they prayed, they realized that Jesus is the sovereign Lord over creation. What do you do when the worldly power is around you? You really feel like it's against you. What do you do when it feels like this, the whole world is against you? I mean, you know that's the way the apostles had to feel. I mean, there they were. They just had left 71 of the most uh, powerful religious leaders. And they all were against them. And the powers that be right there in the temple said, stop this Jesus movement. Stop talking about him. What do you do when the powers are stacked up against you? You remember who the ultimate power and authority is. And they joined their voices together. They prayed together and they said, sovereign Lord, you are creator of all things. Jesus, the word of God, the word in flesh, he spoke and everything came into existence. I mean, how powerful is Jesus? He's the one that out of nothing created all things. The cosmos exists now because of the power and authority of Jesus. And that is the reality of their life. And when they looked at an earthly power saying, quit talking about Jesus, they realized everything's about Jesus. That everything was created by him. Everything was created for him. I mean, that all things exist Because of him, they all are there for his glory. Let's not forget, no matter what the world tells us to say or not say in the name of Jesus, creation exists because of Jesus. Creation reflects the beauty and the power of Jesus. And so when they prayed sovereign Lord over creation, what they were doing is they were were reminding themselves that man may have some earthly power, but God is almighty God, the name of Jesus He is creator God over all things. He's the ultimate power, not the Sanhedrin. Scripture tells us that that Jesus is the one who has the government upon his shoulders. The prophet Isaiah said, this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting father, this prince of peace, the the government of all the world is on his shoulders. More than that, the government of the kingdom of God is in his hands. They were realizing that God is reigning and ruling over all things. Do you hear that? God 
in Christ Jesus is reigning and ruling over all things. This should empower us. The the universe is God's. He's with us and he is for us. Sovereign Lord over creation. Is there a mystery here? Do we not live in a terrible fallen time? Are we not surrounded by our own brokenness and the brokenness of the world? Do you know what scripture is telling us? It's telling us this. There's not one molecule in God's universe that's outside of his control. Did you hear what I just said? Scripture says that sovereign Lord is reigning and ruling over all things. There is nothing happening outside of the control of sovereign God. And yet, look at all the things that seem to be happening so broken and so miserable. How do we justify that? And I got to tell you, there is a mystery. And Scripture tells us in Isaiah 55, his ways aren't our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But we have to be reminded that he is in control of everything. That, that still there's junk in this world. Still a, a neighbor of mine who's trying to help a friend after a suicide of a fiance and yet takes her own life. You say, God, are you really in control? He is. He is sovereign. He is Lord. Not only is he is he sovereign in control of the universe and the cosmos that keeps us from getting too close to the sun to get burned up or too far away to, to freeze. Not as he only in control of all those things. He also is sovereign over redemption. Let me tell you what that means. It sounds like really churchy words, and I gotta make sure I unpack this for you. The point is this. God is in control of the earth and everything, the universe. But not only is God in control of the earth and the universe, He's also in complete control of his plan of salvation. That God's plan to rescue us uh, is in a plan that will not fail. How do you feel when your plans don't succeed? How do you feel when you get up to a mountain in front of your plans and you just don't seem to get around it? Let me tell you the reality is God's plans never fail. In this prayer, as they were praying, they quote Psalm 2. And as they quote Psalm 2, it's an amazing psalm that basically will say, why do the nations rage against Jesus, the Lord's anointed one? Why do the kings and all of the rulers and the leaders rage against God's anointed? Psalm 2 will go on to say, God laughs at him. He's all in control. And he not only laughs at him, but he says, your plans will never succeed. And I've, I've set my king on the holy hill, and my king is my beloved son, And the only way that you'll ever be free is to kiss the sun. It's all in Psalm 2, and it's amazing. But here is the point of this passage here in this prayer. They say in this prayer, it says, In this very city, in Jerusalem, Psalm 2 was fulfilled. In this very city, uh, Herod and Pontius Pilate, that used to be enemies, they gathered together because of a mutual hatred about Jesus. And there were the religious, the Jewish leaders, and there were the Gentiles, and Psalm 2 was fulfilled. There the nations were raging against Jesus, God's anointed. And what did they do? They crucified it. They killed him. But what does this passage say? I mean, this should really blow us away. They did nothing that your hand did not predestine to take place. That Pontius Pilate and Herod and the rulers, yes, they are, they're responsible for their sin. 
And can you imagine the sin of, of crucifying God's anointed one? And yet they had no power to do anything except what God granted them power. And even what they were doing was accomplishing the very plan of God. What looked like sheer tragedy, what looked like an absolute defeat of an innocent man hanging on a Roman cross nailed there was God's plan to rescue you and me. And God's sovereign plan over redemption, that he is in control of all things. Salvation is of the Lord, the Bible tells us. And here's what that means. Salvation, God's rescuing sinful humanity from hell and separation from him, rescuing us and bringing us into his presence and and forgiving our sins and making us a part of his family. Salvation is God's idea. Salvation is God's plan. Salvation for us to be in relationship with God is only accomplished through his work, the work of his son's obedient life, sacrificial death, and resurrection. Salvation is his accomplishment by his grace, through his son, for his glory. It's all about Jesus. He even gives us the faith to believe in him. Here's the point. Those religious leaders said, shut this Jesus movement down. Quit talking about this Jesus guy. They're saying, no, no, no. He's not only in control of all things, but he's got a plan, and his plan includes me. And that plan includes me being forgiven of my sins and made right in Christ Jesus. He is sovereign, and his plan will not fail. You know, when we know his plan won't fail, here's the two things we got to realize. If God's plan can't fail, here's the two things we cannot miss. One is this. His promises must come true. If God's plan cannot fail, his promises must come true. They'll come true in his timing and they'll come true in in, in his plan as it unfolds. But you and I can bank on that God will always be with us as Emmanuel, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that because his plan will not fail, his promises won't either. His promise that he would empower them through the Holy Spirit. But here's the second thing. Not only will his plan, his promises not fail, but now that we know his plan will not fail, we look at Psalm 2. And what was promised to the Lord's anointed, the king, in Psalm 2? In verses 6 and 7, it says this. The nations, don't miss this. This is so important. The nations will be given to the Lord's anointed, Jesus, as an inheritance to the ends of the earth. Now, why do you think the apostles were praying this prayer? They were being reminded that the power of God that was given to him cannot fail. And the plan of God, what was the plan? Go to Jerusalem, go to Judea, go to Samaria, go to the ends of the earth. And how would this embolden them when they realized this was God's plan all along to fill the earth with his glory? His plan will not fail. The nations will be given as an inheritance to Jesus. Do you believe it? That's what God's word says. I mean, look at the world right now. I mean, look at how crazy and upside down it is. In the name of Jesus, they're killing each other. They're trying to drive out the name of Jesus in in Egypt and, and Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, America. But the reality is God is sovereign 
then his plan won't fail. And the nations, there is a day coming where every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow to the name of Jesus. The nations have been given. It's done as an inheritance to the Son. And we have the privilege now to proclaim that good news. It may not happen in our lifetime. I don't know what it's going to be a reality, but I know I'm on the winning team. And it may look like it's failing, but it's not. God's sovereign over redemption. Every one of the lost sheep is coming home. He's not losing one. It should give you boldness. Whatever mountain you face, how bad it looks, don't forget, not only is he in control of creation, he's in control of redemption. And as his plan unfolds, it should embolden us. Let me give you a really practical life lesson with this. Our son Caleb is 18, a senior here at Orangewood, and we are filling out applications and doing those things that our older two children have already done and trying to figure out what's next for you and what's next for him and it's college and, and prayerfully considering. And I tell you, as parents, we get nerve-wracked. Can he go there? Should we send him here? What about over there? And just to be reminded, you know, God's plan can't fail. Yes, we can make bad decisions, even sinful decisions, but ultimately, God reigns and rules over it all. Do you know how much freedom that comes with that? And just to bow down and say, God, I see dimly, you see clearly. And I know that if it was part of your plan was to crucify your son with Herod and Pontius Pilate getting together, and part of your plan included that, it looked crazy, but it's true, I know your plan includes me too. And I know it includes my son. So that salvation of the Lord should embolden us that he is sovereign over not just creation, but also redemption. And thirdly, he prayed, grant us boldness. Grant us boldness to proclaim your word as you heal the nations. What I find absolutely astonishing about this prayer before us, not only does it magnify the sovereignty of God in creation and redemption, look at what this prayer does not ask for. <laughs> look at what this prayer, what they didn't pray for. I mean, don't forget where they just came from. They just had their lives threatened by the Sanhedrin who have and will kill many of them. And what did they not pray for? Well, they didn't pray for comfort. And they didn't pray for peace. And they didn't pray for security. And they didn't pray for, oh Lord, knock this mountain down because there's some really bad people here. They prayed for boldness. They prayed for boldness. They said this, as you continue to stretch out your mighty hand and bring healing, like you did with this crippled man, as, as you continue to heal the nations, as you continue to do signs and wonders, you gave us boldness once. Will you continue to give us boldness? Give us boldness to open up our mouths to proclaim the reality that Jesus is alive. It's all they asked for. What are you asking for? What are you asking for in your life? For those mountains that are in front of you, they knew that it was God and God alone who could heal the nations with his outstretched arms. It's God and God alone who will heal our diseases. It's God and God alone who will heal our, broken, our brokenness. And they said, now give us the power to proclaim your word. You know, when God is moving like he is, and like he was, the ground certainly shakes below us. But we know it's not, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. But sovereign Lord, you can and will do all things. You can, you can, you can. Give me boldness. Not I think I can, but you can, you will. Give me boldness to proclaim 
your word in our lives. About four and a half years ago, Katie um, had a uh, surgery scheduled. It was a pretty major surgery. We were scheduled to be in the hospital for a week. And all the procedures leading up to it and just uh, um, experiencing amazingly God's presence through deciding on which procedure to go and how to uh, move forward with her battle with cancer. And I remember when the day of uh, the surgery arrived, uh, the amazing presence of God. Have you been there? Have you ever experienced the amazing presence of God, the, the peace that passes understanding in, in the midst of the storm? It was there. And as we were there in the pre-op room, and I took my, my phone, and we were praying, playing some Christian music, it was just amazing, the presence of God. But there was one prayer that I had, one longing, and it was this. God, let me just speak to the doctor before the surgery. Because not that I'm a man of great faith, but I wanted to look this doctor in the eye and say, are you going to go and do this procedure? Are you going to look at this one more time? And that's, that's only because there's a lot of people praying, doc. There's a lot of people praying. I just, I just want you to go look before you go cut. Will you do that? And you know, he never showed up. And I just sat there and thought, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I didn't want Katie to know how disappointed and how brokenhearted I was and how angry with God I was. I had one request. Let me just talk to the doctor. As they wheeled her in, I went over to the window and I just stared out at it and I was probably saying things I shouldn't, but just was angry. The doctor walked by. And it wasn't to see me, he just walked by. I'm like, oh, 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 oh doc. Let me ask you, are you just going to go in and do this or are you going to look because there's a lot of people that have been praying for her. And in a condescending manner, he put his hand on my shoulder and as confident as most surgeons are, he looked at me and says, I've, I've, I've got a good look at this. I know what I'm doing. Go in the waiting room. Okay. Two minutes into surgery, he's waving me over and he's just saying, you know what? We looked at it. We don't have to do this. There's another way. And it's just an absolute incredible power of God, the sovereign hand of God that gives me great boldness to stand before you and say, our God heals and our God is with us and our God is for us and our God still does amazing things. Listen, I've had prayers that haven't been answered the same way. And, and, and there's been prayers I've offered for you and for me that, that haven't been going the way that that story did. But the reality is, is I know that Jesus has all power and authority in his hand. And I know that he is sovereign over creation. And I know that his plan will not fail. And because of the reality, I stand before you and say, Jesus, grant me boldness. And grant this church boldness. As you stretch out your hand and heal us through the gospel and heal the nations to proclaim the reality that Jesus lives as the sovereign king of the universe. And may the Jesus movement never stop. And those who stand in our way, who say never proclaim in his name the reality. No, 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 no. He is the one who has authority. His plan will not fail. Grant us boldness to proclaim his word as he brings healing to us and to the nations. Let us pray. Jesus, sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, 
whose plan will never fail to rescue lost sheep like us and to bring us to the Father. Grant us boldness to live for you. Grant us boldness to walk in a manner worthy of you, knowing that all power and authority is in your hands and in Christ we can do all things, knowing that your plan will not fail, no matter what it looks like from our human dim perspective. Jesus is ruling and reigning as your son and king. And may that give us peace and joy and boldness to live for you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.